Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, we'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where we're recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. Today's show is all about something sticky, sweet, delicious, and extremely important both today and throughout all of the history of mankind. That's right, it's my butt. No, I'm I'm kidding. It's honey! Collecting honey from bees is a practice that dates back a ridiculously long time. Like, the earliest records of it are from over 8,000 years ago, but let's be real, it's entirely likely that it goes back even further than that, because, like, early humans probably would have noticed some birds and wild animals, like, taking time going to look for honey in beehives, and, like, at some point, some guy must have gone, hey, they're pretty excited about whatever that is, let's try it. But I digress. Honey is also part of several medicinal traditions. It's been used to speed up healing after serious burns, to soothe sore throats, and even as a topical antibiotic. All to varying degrees of effectiveness, obviously. If you're having any serious symptoms, you should probably get some actual medical help, but you know, bees. Honey also holds a deep significance to various world religions. The ancient Greeks believed it was so divine that Zeus and the gods of Olympus themselves consumed tons of it. In Hinduism, it holds a place as one of the five elixirs of life, and in the Hebrew Bible and any Christian texts that came after it, there are countless references to it as a beautiful, healing, holy thing worthy of giving up as an offering to God. If you're a big fan of honey, I would love to hear about some of your favorite ways to eat it. You can hit us up on social media at NoBadFoodPod to tell us all about it, you know? Tell me your favorite honey based desserts or your favorite place to get honey. Uh, Tell me about the like best honey you've ever eaten. Tell me everything. I want to hear it, especially if we've got photos that go along with it. All right, that's enough for me. Let's get to the real reason that we're here today, to hear from our exciting guest. Our guest this week on No Bad Food is the one, the only Amanda McLaughlin podcaster and CEO of Multitude Productions. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us here on No Bad Food. That's me. Thank you for having me. It's uh, It's been a little while. We uh, we had you when we did our Tournament of Champions recap show last year at some point with uh, Matt Cole. How have you been? What have you been up to? I've uh, been great. Got married. Got Jewish been eating and cooking a lot of great stuff and those are my main highlights of the last little while enjoyed uh the the new tournament of champions very much so maybe we'll we'll come back together for toc4 yeah i i think every other season feels like a reasonable pace for me at this point totally i actually this morning my new husband eric silver um uh didn't wake me up but the first thing he said to me when i woke up was shoda's gonna be on tournament of champions because we both follow Shoda of Top Chef on Instagram, and there was some sleuthing he did seeing him in, you know, photos with Guy Fieri and groups of chefs who would not otherwise be together but for Tournament of Champions. So, sure. got him excited. That's exciting. Is there a date for that yet? I haven't heard anything about it. Not that I've seen, no. But okay. Food Network loves just like fully drop new shows without telling us. Uh, mm-hmm. They're the only network whose bumpers I watch. Like I watch the sort of 30 seconds before and after commercial break because I need to know what's going on and I won't yeah. know any other way. It's true. They they like to kind of catch us off guard like that. They're sneaky. 
They do indeed. Uh, well, congratulations and Mazel Tov on the marrying and the Jewishing. Thank it's you. Exciting. Thank you. It was very exciting and I think leads us into the food I want to talk about, which is honey, which has yes. been a food that I love and, and a real through line through my life. And also, you know, partially Jewish, at least when it yeah. comes to Rosh Hashanah and, and associations with, you know, Sweet New Year. Um, and I just think it's fabulous and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. So so let's get into the show a little bit. We uh you know, we always get our guests to tell us a bit about themselves and the food that they grew up with a little bit off the top of the show before we dive into our like main topic. But before we get into the thick of it, the sticky of it, I'm trying mm-hmm. to find a, you know, a honey expression. It's been before a long we enter the hive day. question mark. Yeah, yeah. Folks, if I sound exhausted today, it's because last night I was at the wedding of longtime friend of the show, Andy Sherman, and uh, his now wife, Rena Diamond, and it was a lot of fun, and I'm exhausted. And, like, this is the most hungover I've felt as a sober person (laughs) in a very long time. Uh, So, you know, bear with me, people. Uh, Joy happened. Celebration happened. Uh, Let us be joyful and celebrate Amanda now, who (laughs) will not make me as exhausted as the wedding did. Um, I am also exhausted, though, because I spent the last few days at my first in-person con since lockdown started, which as a professional podcaster was a big part of my life. And I went to PAX Unplugged with Eric and our community manager, Rue, and our senior editor, Misha, um, and uh, their respective wives. And it was so much fun. And I talked to new people for like probably 60 hours over the last three or four days. And I too have like a existential exhaustion of like <laughs> making making podcasts for a career is so intangible and you you know see tweets and you see discord messages and emails and stuff and occasionally physical mail um, mm. but seeing people who are like excited to see us and hear our voices and one person was wearing my face on a shirt which we cool. made it wasn't like an unlicensed shirt but like sure. one of our pieces of merch that like has a cartoon of me on it, it to meet me and it was just the wildest activity so listen it, it is great exhaustion lots of joy yeah. was had but also I woke up this morning feeling exactly like I had just done a done physical exertion beyond like standing on my feet for a long time. Yeah, well that's it. It's like my I was I was saying to someone, I don't remember who, in the past couple of days, like or today even, that like <laughs> this is the most exhausted that I've been in a very long time. And it's like I, I got all of my physical activity at the wedding, like more than I have moved since the pandemic started, basically. And my partner was like, I mean you work all day on your feet. And I was like, yeah, but like when I work, I'm like, I walk back and forth across a room, bringing people lasagnas and making sandwiches. And like, it's even at its most intense, I am not running around in a circle, jumping up and down with a bunch of men in suits and hats. Like it's not the same. Very true. So yeah, let's, let's get into it. Tell us about you. Tell us about your life and about your, your upbringing and your food life, especially. And, uh, you know, bonus points if you can segue honey into it, because that's why we're here. Yeah, no, I I grew up in Long Island, uh, a suburb of New York City, and a kind of microcosm of the Northeast where there is like, you know, some uh, lots of like Irish and Italians and lots of Jewish people. Um, there's a growing South Asian community. Um, there's lots of good food to be had. Um, and my particular upbringing, I, we lived right down the block from my maternal grandmother, who is an excellent cook, whose parents were from Germany, um, and whose 
signature dishes uh, and the sort of like taste of my childhood kind of all come from her. And so one of my favorites from her was like a pot roast over egg noodles. Um, There was a lot of like, you know, briskets and big roasts and like roasted potatoes and carrots. And she, we always called her um, like the, you know, Martha Stewart before Martha Stewart. Um, (laughs) She's a little bit older than Martha um, and came up around the same time. But she, you know, grew up very thrifty and like, you know, working class Long Island in Freeport. Um, And so she was really interested in like food and taste and spices um, and kind of pushing the boundaries. She'd like see stuff on magazines or on TV and then recreate it for herself and just has such a good instinct. I'm using both past and present tense because she's alive and and I talk to her all the time, Uh, but she does a lot less cooking now than she used to. Um, And so growing up, I had heard of things like endive, you know, and like crab cakes that she'd make with canned crab, you know, and like just bringing a lot of inventiveness and like interesting spices. Um, She isn't held back at all by kind of traditional food mixing. Mm -hmm. So like one of her favorite dishes um, that I remember is like a very kind of chunky style of applesauce, but she put in red hot candies, mostly for color, but also for a little bit of like, you know, cinnamony, like sharpness. Um, And so that is that is just like classic stuff for me. Um, So my mom was much less interested in cooking. Her mom is good at it. She was like, I don't care. So, you know, we had a mix of uh, a fast food, a roast chicken every so often, pizza, you know, Thai takeout, sushi takeout, um, stuff like that. Uh, And then grilling over the summer because we're from the shores of Long Island, a very beachy town. My mom is a lifeguard. So like all summer, I'd be babysitting my younger siblings um, and, you know, going to like the lobster farm and getting lobster for like $12 $12 a pound probably Amazing. is a thing we did constantly. Um, and so some of my favorite memories and food memories um, are, you know, over the summer, my dad would grill and we'd have, you know, like cheap steak, cheap lobster, but it was still really good. You know, like a kielbasa from Costco uh, and some corn, you know, just like all the sort of farm stand produce. Um, so I have some standout memories, um, but also complicated by, you know, I've always been like a bigger uh, kid and a bigger person. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, weight shit and kind of associating food with, you know, indulgence, things I shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, but now as an adult, I'm really enjoying kind of making a lot of those uh, foods from my childhood, a lot of soups and stews and deli foods. Foods, uh, you know, and like great sandwiches and really enjoying living in, in Brooklyn with like all kinds of uh, food and takeout available to me. So that's my monologue about food I like. There's something about like grandparents who can cook up a storm and leave you with those like extremely tangible, extremely lovely, like warm associations with specific foods but like yeah because I think like fairly same like my I grew up with just my mom and like my mom's a very good cook but like couldn't be bothered a lot of the time because she was a single mom and like had other shit she needed to do Mm -hmm. and like so for me like you know I have really strong food memories of my grandmother who is also an amazing cook but like she was a professional painter so she had hella time to make food (laughs) Uh, and you know my mom like cooked well but like there's not much that I think of specifically as linked to her you know uh in that same way and like there's something to that like I don't know I hope that it doesn't skip a a generation too often you know but I think that there can be a thing where like if you if you kind of take it for granted a little too much you don't necessarily you know want to put it forward yourself right like if you're if you're maybe it just comes down to whether or not the the good cook parent gets you involved in it you know 
Yeah, I think, too, there is a sort of evolution of, like, uh, housekeeping here because, you know, my grandma mm. uh, was born in the 30s, um, gr- made a lot of her own clothes, mm-hmm. uh, had a backyard garden, you know, partly for, you know, saving money reasons and partly because she likes gardening. Um, <laughs> and so when, you know, her children were growing up, like, she's buying clothes for her kids and not making them because she can. And like, why would my mom need to be super invested in like learning how to cook well if she could buy food? I think was, is part of the, um, part of the idea there or like go out to eat restaurants, you know, like my grandma would figure out how to like make the hamburger she really liked from like the roadside stand because they couldn't afford to like get it all the time. Um, and so in a way I think that it's like a, you know, my kids go out and like, don't need to learn these things. Um, in the same way my, my dad's side of the family are Irish very potato based culture in both mm-hmm. cases um, and had absolutely no food heritage absolutely no family recipes nothing at all my dad is one of 12 kids his mom worked as a cafeteria lady uh, and would just bring home like you know four gallon cans of like dole fruit salad you know like like just whatever utility had to happen to like get those mouths fed and out the door like Mm -hmm. eating in shifts at their table type situation um and so on that side you know all our family gatherings and barbecues is like you know italian catering or like one person brings lasagna one person has like random wings or something like really kind of hodgepodge um and i think in a way that's you know that's like progress uh too where you know i don't have to know how they like stretch two potatoes into like four meals because they you know the the priorities are different. Um, but now I really like, you know, partly because I, you know, it's a hobby and I really enjoy homemaking and like making my own chicken stock and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, partly because of food allergies, I have a very tragic allergy to alliums, which is like onion, garlic, scallion, uh, all the delicious, uh, root vegetable (laughs) roots, uh, and alliums that the world has to offer. And so things like, you know, barbecue sauces, stocks, almost all soups, almost all breading, uh, contains those things. And so I have taken it on as like a hobby and a blessing. Um, you know, and I think my grandma is happy to talk to me about, um, is, you know, how to really enrich the pea soup, you know, with like the, the homemade ham hock and things like that. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, so I have like a mild garlic allergy. And mine is not super serious. It's more just like if I eat raw garlic in any form, like yeah. be it just like the most common, I guess, would just be like Lebanese garlic sauce, right? Sure. Like if I get a shawarma, I'm going to feel bad. And like, I'm going to feel bad both intestinally and like my throat swells up a little bit. And like, oh, fun. Yeah. So like I avoid it, obviously. Um, and then like, you know, when we're like prepping something that has a lot of garlic in it at work, like it does make me feel bad. (laughs) But I can't imagine like it for me, it's only garlic, like onions. I don't have any problem with. And I'm glad for that because that sounds really rough. Yeah, it's uh, it's tragic. But I got to tell you, few things have made me feel more Jewish in the, you know, five months since my conversion has been official than memes about stomach problems because sure. it's it's a real kind of Ashkenazi thing but uh, which is again not my not my heritage whatsoever um, but it is a, a shared Jewish identity of, uh, of, of stomach problems um, that I find very welcoming <laughs> yeah it, it's funny when I when I told my Jewish friends that I was you know thinking about converting uh, one of them was like I mean you already have like horrible indigestion and yeah yeah <laughs> I was like, yeah, well yeah no, yeah. it's, it's really good. But honey has <laughs> also been a through line um, throughout my my life and my childhood and my memories. Um, mm. Part of this is going to be around kind of like diet culture and like inherited sure. sort of disordered eating just as a, a warning for listeners. Um, but, you know, growing up, my uh, my mom, you know, was a 90s mom and like had slim fast. Uh, mm. You know, she was an athlete before she had kids um, okay. and, you know, talked around me a lot as her eldest daughter, eldest of four kids um, about, you know, her issues with her body. Um, 
um, mm-hmm. and projecting those things onto me as well. Um, you know, I was always a, a bigger kid and that's never really changed. That's just kind of how my body is. Um, and so growing up, you know, I either got explicit or implicit judgment around the things I ate um, mm-hmm. and was super discouraged from any additions, you know, like right. I never, I never was sort of allowed explicitly or implicitly to like add cheese or add bacon, you know, or like add anything at restaurants um, right. and at home too. My, my food consumption was really monitored. Um, and so I, you know, I really kind of had to look for opportunities to like get the calories I needed and also to have things taste good. And right. so one of my favorite things that I made growing up, um, you know, one, I did a lot of babysitting of my younger siblings, um, all of whom have kind of like more standard uh, bodies. And one of them was a tuna boat, um, which is tuna fish salad in a cucumber cut lengthwise with the seeds scooped out. Okay. So like, imagine you cut the cucumber long ways, you scoop the seeds out with a spoon, you have like a little vessel, and then you fill it with tuna fish. Um, okay. And I would do the barest little drizzle of honey on top to like sweeten nice. the salad a bit, much like how you would add, you know, like raisins or apples or something like that to a chicken mm-hmm. salad, um, which my uh, youngest brother loved beyond belief. And I still make for myself as a comfort food now as an adult. Um, and then secondly, parfaits of having, sure. you know, berries and granola uh, and yogurt, all of which were coated as health foods mm-hmm. with like probably fully like a quarter cup of honey on top. (laughs) It was essentially like a honey and berry pudding. Um, And that uh, was something I just loved and treasured. Um, And, you know, honey was sort of like a socially acceptable sweet. Um, But also, yeah, a thing I have always thought was really like metaphorically meaningful and really resonant. And the idea of like bees and production and honey as a food that we sort of, you know, is a byproduct of animal activity that doesn't harm them um, Mm -hmm. is I think really fascinating and honey is unique in a ton of ways um so both in my you know berry parfaits and also in tea big tea drinker as a kid um i was always going through honey and that was a thing that you know was not problematic yeah i mean it's interesting like i i think about that and like you know like we talked about at the top of the show we are both recovering from ridiculous weekends right and Honey is one of those things that, like, it can help your throat, too, if you're exhausted from talking too much or, you know, singing really loud along to music or just shouting because the DJ is playing things too loud. Like, honey can be medicinal. Honey can be restorative. But it's also just sweet. And, like, there's something really nice about something that, like, is helpful while also being tasty. Because I think a lot of the time the stuff that, like is really, really beneficial for us isn't necessarily the most, like, palatable, right? Like, I think about, like, ginger, which I love, is not necessarily something that I want to, like, suck on when I'm, like, you know, having a sore throat, even though the benefits are there. Like, I want it, you know, cooked into something. I want it in a drink, maybe. But, like, I'm not necessarily going to, like, enjoy just putting it in my mouth in the same way that I might with honey. I say this as someone who is actually not like the biggest honey person, but like I, you know, I think I'm in the minority on that one. I think more people enjoy the flavor of honey. Like I, yeah, it's a bad example for me specifically, but I think writ large, you know, most people would rather suck on honey than suck on a piece of ginger. And like, I think there's something cool about that, that like we have this thing that we can just like enjoy that will also make us feel better. A hundred percent. 
you know, there are a few sort of remedies. Like as a kid, if I had a sore throat, my my mom would have me like gargle warm salt water, which can be mm-hmm. very helpful. Um, sure. Or like if I have, you know, congestion, I might use a neti pot. None of that is super enjoyable, but no. having a spoonful of honey really is. Um, just, you know, to your point, I also have a lot of like seasonal allergies. And mm-hmm. so the fact that you genuinely can eat local honey and have your, you know, kind of immune system built up a little bit, it sounds like a lie and it sounds like a wellness <laughs> thing, but it's not because yeah. it's tr- it's true and borne out by science. And also like what I'm going to give $10 to like a, a hive of bees in my neighborhood, like that's okay. Um, And I think particularly as a, you know, my whole, you know, adult life, I've lived in New York City um, and there aren't, you know, a lot of like hyper local food options that's changed Mm -hmm. a lot recently. There are now like rooftop farms and all kinds of stuff and certainly places from, you know, the the suburbs um, that, that get trucked into farmer's markets. But there is a beehive like blocks away from my apartment that I buy honey from, which I think is incredibly metal and very, very cool. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the thing about honey, right? Like, so, so history nerd hat going on for a second here. Honey used to be the main thing we sweetened things with. Sugar was not the main sweetener in most of the world until, say it with me now, colonialism happened to it and Slavery. the slave trade yep. happened. Yeah, <laughs> it, it used to be much more common that like, you know, 400, 500 years ago, everybody would just keep bees. You would just like, if you yeah. lived somewhere where bees could be, you would have bees and those bees would give you honey and that would be your source of sugar for things. And like, it was much more sustainable. It was a nice little like ecosystem thing where like, like you said earlier, like taking honey from bees does not like inherently harm the bees. Like you could absolutely, you know, destroy their lives by taking the honey in the wrong way. But like, it's easy to take honey from them without doing that. And like, there's no downside basically except that you sometimes get stung by bees and like i don't know happy bees might not sting you that often probably like i know people who work with bees who like don't get stung that often so like i don't know it seems it seems worthwhile to me and like the fact that that also is linked to this this concept of terroir right where like the environment that the thing is from the place where it's made affects the flavor and the like nature of it right which is like what you alluded to with the allergies thing like by eating local honey you're kind of microdosing on that allergen a little bit hell yeah you are in like a processed way that's been naturally processed like you know if, if you're looking for like an antidote to a poison usually a small amount of that poison that's been like treated to be mm-hmm. like safer is the antidote right or and, i can like, tell you i'm getting honey. allergy shots right now for right. some like pollen and dogs and cats and stuff and they're just like inserting small amounts of those allergens into my body like that's all it is yeah well that's it right and it's like okay like if we're gonna do that like chemically and like you know with science why don't we do that more often with like things that come from nature and like have been proven to help right and like the fact that that is an option and then the like secondary kind of cool effect of that is that like if you get really into honey you can have so many different flavors of honey that haven't even necessarily been flavored with anything they just taste different because of where they're from that's so fucking cool and there's like not that many things that have that built in you know 
Yeah, I'm really glad you said the word terroir before I did, not just because, as evidenced, I can't really say it, but because I feel like a dick when I'm the first person to say that word in a sentence, uh, in a conversation. But uh, it's so true. Like, it, I think it is buckwild that I can look at several jars of honey and be like, oh, yeah, that's clover because uh, it's lighter in color. And that one is from, like, buckwheat, you know, and that one is from, like, different kinds of flowers. And it is rare, exactly like you said, to to see such a profound impact of like the environment on the product that you're buying. And there really are almost no steps <laughs> like you you in between, like you collect the honey from the hive, you put it in the clean jar. Like that is the story. Um, yeah. And you can buy, you know, creamed honey. You can buy like honey products. I don't even love like honey flavored stuff that much necessarily just because I love honey itself incredibly. Sure. <laughs> um, and I see this happening, you know, more and more like I, you know, I really care about like ciders and beers and, you know, tasting like the environment that the thing is is raised in um, mm-hmm. in the product. I'm not super into wine, but I get how that is a thing. Sure, um, yeah. But it is so direct and so obvious in honey uh, and so affordable too, where you can really pick up like super bougie, nice quality honey from like here in New York City farmer's market for like five bucks um, for like one of the smaller containers. And it is, it is so amazing. Like not just as a product itself, where I think even people without a sweet tooth as advanced as mine is uh, can really enjoy honey because there is a flavor to it. Um, It's not like I see it as really analogous to maple syrup. I put Mm -hmm. maple syrup in my coffee and honey in my tea, you know, because I like that added flavor and not just like chemical sweetness is something that I think adds a lot of value um, to the, sorry, like use a business term, but like it, you know, it adds a a note of its own. It's an ingredient. Um, And in fact, I baked with honey for the first time this Thanksgiving, a little bit late for the high holiday. Holidays, but um, we made a honey cake, honey and apple cake, um, mm. as like our Thanksgiving dessert. And putting, sure. you know, almost a full cup of honey into a cake was tight as hell. And I loved it. And I am never not going to bake with honey again. It was so cool. I get it. I get it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I think for me, there's a textural thing to just straight up honey that doesn't do it for me. Like, I have trouble with that. Um, have you ever had whipped honey or creamed honey? I don't think so. Creamed honey is like the texture of... um like frozen or like a you know bacon fat in the fridge where like you can or like peanut butter like you can kind of dip into it and it sure, holds a yeah, shape yeah. on your knife um, okay. you can spread it like nutella or something on your toast okay Consider it. it's that, it's really that good. might be better for me yeah because yeah. i i think that there's just something to the like the it's standard runny. texture of honey yeah yeah it, it like it it throws me off a little bit and makes it harder for me to enjoy but when it's been baked into stuff i'm all about it you know think about cream honey that might be a solution for you i i like to spread yeah. it out on toast that's my preferred cream honey method I might, I might have to look into that. Yeah. yeah. We do like a hot honey at work mm-hmm. that's like, you know, honey with, you know, Calabrian chili in it. And like, that's really good as well, but still oh, yeah. has that textural thing that like, I just can't get past. I don't know. Like, I, there's not a lot of foods that I can't or like not even can't, but like haven't managed to like enjoy yet. And like honey is one of the ones where I'm like, oh, I love the flavor of this, but I want it to stop feeling this way. There you go. I think that might be a, a great thing. And I, I love that you brought up hot honey too. That's something that, you know, my husband Eric has loved for years. We live and work right by Polly G's Pizzeria, which is um, the place that kind of like pioneered hot honey and pizza as a combo. Yeah. Um, and Mike's Hot Honey is like a local business that we really love. Um, and so that like our our spices um, sort of like go-to spice thing on our 
bar is like good black pepper and good salt in uh, grinders, Frank's hot sauce and hot honey, <laughs> like and Amazing. then like flaky sea salt. Like those are the three things that we put on almost everything. Um, and yeah, it just it adds so much flavor and deliciousness. But too, like just the even if it wasn't so tasty, I think I would still go hard for honey um, mm. because of just like the folklore and the history and the cool like liminal nature of honey as a product. Um, yeah. I spent many years in my early adulthood eating vegan. Um, and there is a whole discussion in vegan communities about whether or not honey counts as vegan. Sure. Uh, most people think no, but it was a thing that I always kept um, as part of my um, my eating you know repertoire um, because I really love it. And I think it is pretty mm-hmm. dope that ethical kind of farming of honeybees like they are clinically classified as semi-domesticated they're not domesticated they're still wild (laughs) animals we're kind of living symbiotically with uh bees and like you know ideally you know providing good landscape and environment for Mm -hmm. them as we kind of share in their byproduct um so that and maple tree tapping i always go super hard for i know you said maple tree tapping but my the connection cut a little bit when you said it and i heard meatball tree tapping and i got really excited (laughs) for a second that was be tight as hell i'd be into it yeah i i think the vegan honey question is interesting because like yeah it's an animal byproduct but like because it doesn't harm the animal because it doesn't actually get harvested directly out of the animal and because they make so much of it that like they don't actually need all of it like yeah if you do it right and if you know the people you're getting it from like it's totally doable to do it in a way that's like good right and i think that that is a thing that like happens with veganism sometimes is that like it's oh god i wish i could remember i read an article a while ago that like hit the nail on the head talking about this if i find it i'll put it in the show notes uh that was about like veganism as a lifestyle versus just as a dietary practice right Mm -hmm. where it's like the actual like ethos here is like do do very little harm with the stuff that you're eating right and like not harm animals and like make an ethical choice here as opposed to just being like don't eat anything that has touched an animal uh like Mm -hmm. (laughs) which you know is the surface level of it right but like when you actually break it down it's like okay just because you're not eating animal products doesn't mean that what you're eating is better right like on a on a sort of moral level right like because some some like alternative milk sources for instance are really fucking bad for the planet and like factory farmed stuff is not that great either right so it's Mm -hmm. like okay maybe eating soy (laughs) is technically not eating meat but like you're you're maybe doing worse to the planet than if you just bought a chicken here and there right and so that question of like you know is it better to use sugar for instance as your sweetener that has you know been created and established and grown on the backs of slavery for hundreds of years Mm -hmm. or is it better to use honey that doesn't actually you know hurt the bees who are making it even though it's an animal product right like which of those is the more vegan in quotation marks option like i would kind of argue it's the honey right yeah and something else that I think is really fascinating that didn't interest me at the time, uh, but really does now as I you know grow and change as a person, is that you know honey is kosher. Like uh, mm-hmm. rules of of what is kosher and what is not in Judaism um, are complex and really interesting, mm-hmm. um, and and a good source of study and debate as they have been for many thousands of years. Um, but the you know they they treat. 
honey as a kind of byproduct of work by animals, not mm-hmm. as an animal product, where like the bees produce honey by transporting plants to hives and like transmogrifying the honey as they do so, but not it's not a direct animal byproduct in the way that cow's milk is of cows, um, which I think is uh, incredibly interesting. That's such an interesting nuance too, yeah. Yeah, see as huh. plant-based, not as like an animal uh, produced by an unclean animal. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like, uh, I can't remember exactly. There's like a coffee bean that's like produced by the fruit being eaten by some animal and then yes. pooped out. Pooped it's out like, by yeah. a monkey, yeah. Yeah, like that's not technically an animal byproduct. The monkey did the work to make it exist, but like it wasn't created that, naturally inside the monkey, right? <laughs> I think because it comes from the animal's body, it would. But uh, hmm. bees instead like uh, ferry and transport and essentially like you know, transform the nectar into honey with labor um, and not with their bodies, which is just really fascinating. And I mean, there's a reason why, right? Like honey, you know, bees uh, swarming all around, sometimes stinging you, sometimes just like, you know, sipping on your flowers and then delicious, like, you know, heavenly substances coming out of their beehives um, (laughs) is fascinating. Like it's all over the Bible. It's, It's all over all kinds of texts and traditions. But I think one of my favorites is the practice of telling the bees, um, which mm. is a, a practice in many different kinds of folklore where if the keeper of bees dies or if anything really tragic or significant happens in a household that has bees, um, somebody has to tell the bees about it because mm. there are like lots of, um, of traditions and like very beautiful kind of like ways in which this has been interpreted into art. Um, but the idea is like we're cooperating. We're colleagues. Mm. Like, you know, you are not owned by me. I'm not owned by you. The things you make are not owed to me. Uh, and instead, we're sort of cooperating where, you know, I'll lend you my land, you lend me your honey. And so the sort of like following of respect is like you let them know, like any other member of the household, what's going on. I love that. I wish landlords were like that. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick hop over to the mid-roll for a second so that you can find out about ways to support the show. And then when we get back, we're going to talk about some of our other favorite things about honey. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of December, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need, so by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show, you're functionally donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. There is literally no other way to turn 0 into 6, so if that math is exciting for you, go do it. You can read all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. Hey, do you like merch? Do you like hats and aprons and mugs with your favorite podcast's logo on them? Well, I have good news for you. You can go to our merch store, the Podcavern merch store, and uh, get some of that stuff with our logo on it from Podcavern, our merch store. Go do it. All right, that's enough for me. Let's get back to my conversation with Amanda. It would be pretty sweet of you to consider supporting the show. <laughs> hey, ooh, uh, hey. Woo-hoo money uh money rhymes with honey and that's what we're here to talk about today folks honey honey must be funny in a bees world (laughs) so here in the second half of the show we like to talk a little bit more about like our favorite uses of the food of the week you know our, our favorite like applications of the ingredient so you mentioned earlier the like tuna boats that you used to make and still make. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm wondering, like, uh, is there anything that's kind of come up to you recently, especially that's like, 
you know, in your adult life, a use of honey that like hadn't occurred to you before that maybe like blew your mind? Yeah. So one is is baking. Um, the recipe that um, we made for uh, for Thanksgiving is from Jake Cohen's Jew-ish, a cookbook, Reinvented Recipes from a Modern Mensch, um, which was excerpted on Bake from Scratch. And I'm happy to pass that link along for inclusion cool. in the show notes. Um, because I always just thought of honey as a condiment. I'll put it on top of stuff, on top of a parfait, a smoothie bowl, in a smoothie maybe, um, you know, uh, like in foods. I put it in chicken salad and tuna salad, right? All kinds of stuff. Um, But it hadn't occurred to me to bake with it. And Mm. so putting it in this, you know, apples and honey upside down cake, um, I think was absolutely incredible. The taste of like cooked and almost crystallized honey, like there's a caramel Mm. on the the top, uh, was so amazing and I'm going to make it for Rosh Hashanah and probably Thanksgiving also and probably the new year and whatever else I feel like um, going forward. So that was the real kind of like honey innovation in my life. Um, And I think too, like you're mentioning, you know, you can have lots of kinds of honeys in your pantry. I often do. I usually have a kind of like cheap or commercial liquid honey that I'll put in like a smoothie or now I'll use for baking. Um, I like the mesquite mix from Trader Joe's. That's normally Mm. where I go. I think they're a good mix of like affordability and taste uh, in the U.S. And then I'll have my farmer's market honeys in liquid form for putting into tea or on top of toast and usually a creamed honey as well, um, which is good for spreading on top of, you know, baked goods. Um, But also I like using a little creamed honey on a plate with apple slices if I'm feeling particularly like um, a, you know, a sweet tooth uh, dessert that I'm looking for. So, um, yeah, those are my usual honey uh, consumption methods. I love that. Yeah, I think that like the the kind of like fun sweet side of honey is something that I appreciate a lot. Like as a parent, it's hard sometimes to like find things that are like exciting for the kids while also not just being like tons of processed sugars and, you know, candy and and, you know, boxed snacks. And mm-hmm. like look, I am not in any way, shape, or form trying to, like, dissuade people from letting their kids have processed food. I'm going to say that right out of the gate. I was raised on processed food. I love processed food. We're fine. Yeah, exactly. Fruit gummies? I love fruit gummies. Granola bars? All of that. Like, we, we, we love that kind of stuff. Our kids love that kind of stuff. But it does feel good sometimes to be able to have another alternative, right? Where it's like you get more bang for your buck out of like raw ingredients, frankly. So like, while it is convenient to buy a box of Mott's fruit stations for like $4 <laughs> and have 10 snacks figured out, you can also buy like $4 worth of apples and have like a bit more of a substantial snack. Right. And like, especially, I mean, so, you know, regular listeners of the show know that Teffer loves apples of all kinds and has strong opinions about apples. So like we frequently have apples in the house depending Mm -hmm. on what's in season. And like knowing that we can just like cut up some apples and serve them with some honey and the kids will like that because it's sweet and tasty and it's not going to cost a fortune. That's huge, you know? And, and like, I think we, we can overlook simple things sometimes because they're simple, but like there really is nothing like that, you know? A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I have, it's taken a lot of trial and error to kind of land on a place where I know my food allergies and intolerances <laughs> and like, I'm not constantly in distress. Um, sure. But that's just to say that like the, the foods that are simple, that are pretty shelf stable, that I kind of always have on hand and that I know are either comforting or soothing or are not going to cause me like heartburn or digestive issues 
values um, I really like hold close to my heart. And one of those is just toast with a little bit of like non-dairy butter and honey. Um, right. And I always have honey. That butter lasts forever. I keep my bread in the freezer. It's always around. Um, right. And especially if I'm, you know, feeling, you know, nauseous or unwell or just tired. And like, I'm one of those people who kind of like doesn't want to eat when I'm feeling any in any way off. Um, sure. And so a food that I know is like fairly bland, but also tasty and like will always feel vaguely medicinal and homey uh, to me is is totally honey on stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it, right? It's it it is a comfort thing, and it's the the home side of it makes a lot of sense too, right? Because it it's from where you're from, you know. It totally is. <laughs> or or at the very least, it's from where you call home, right? And and that is that's valuable, you know that 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 comfort that you get from eating stuff that is home is like a nutritive factor that is not accounted for by science, but makes as much of a difference as protein and sugar and fat content. Yeah, I think that's really well put. And, you know, there's a reason that, um, you know, that Judaism as a tradition, as a, you know, religion that has endured much longer than contemporary religions um, in its origin point, you know, a reason why it's around is that, you know, rabbis around when the temple was destroyed for the second time uh, decided like, okay, this is clearly not going to just like be around forever in its current form. Like, how can we um, adapt and update and sort of like codify our traditions in a way that mm-hmm. isn't entirely dependent on a place like right. ancient Judaism was um, or even like this particular location. Um, and so that's why, you know, things like the Seder plate on Passover, there are categories of items you have to have and not specific ones. Um, right. And why traditions are so based on place and culture and like your particular family or traditions lineage, because, you know, unfortunately, huge history of displacement and persecution mm-hmm. and needing to kind of pick up your uh, very essentials and figure it out somewhere totally different. Um, right. And so, you know, things like dipping apples in honey for Rosh Hashanah to mean uh, and kind of signify a sweet new year. A, it's food-based symbolism, which is one of the best things about Judaism and something I really <laughs> enjoy. Like it goes with the blessing. It goes with the idea. It's the beginning. You know, it's a new year uh, beginning. And, you know, you want something uh, something sweet to start off with. Um, right. But also, you know, because like honey is supposed to remind us of everything good and delicious and mana, mm-hmm. you know, and like blessings from um, from God and I also think that honey is a blessing from God, uh, you know, small g, um, as we as we look at it. Like, it's it's yeah. truly, there's no reason why an insection makes something this amazing uh, and why it should taste so good and help my allergies and also, like, heal burns. Honey is is truly incredible. It's crazy. And and the thing that I think is, is especially, like, exciting about honey with regard to Judaism is, like, it's one of the few things that is still possible now that was possible back then as well right where like you know people have been eating honey in like parts of the world for god i i i want to say forever basically like for as long as history has been recorded honey has existed yeah i saw like seven to eight thousand years is the oldest archaeological record we have at least of humans consuming honey but it must go back much further than that yeah that's it right and it's like okay like if we have that right and if like like the the Torah doesn't necessarily have like a ton of specifically named foods, right? That we can mm-hmm. still get that are like as commonplace now as they would have been back then and in like the very specific geographical place and context. But like honey is there and that is so significant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like if we if we can have honey still, that's like okay, like clearly 
clearly something divine happens here with this, right? Where it's it's like I mean, it's like you said, like the bees just kind of like magically make it. Like I don't I don't ever want to know how bees actually make honey. <laughs> I would rather it just be like an exciting kind of little mystery for me, where like they take it, they take the plant, they take the flower the pollen that is of the flower. Wow, I'm tired. Uh, And they put it somewhere and then we get honey. And it's like, all right, perfect. Tell me no more. I don't need to know anything else about this. They make with their insect brains, beautiful, perfectly symmetrical hexagons. Like, have you ever seen a beehive? That shit's amazing. Like it is so, it is so cool. And it is an instance. I don't want to say a rare instance because there are, there are lots of them, but like one of those firm examples of human ingenuity, not being able to rival nature whatsoever. Like we could never have come up with as elegant a shape and uh, efficient use of space as the hexagons in a beehive. Like it is, uh, it is bananas. Um, And to, you know, talk about myself because this is what I'm here to do. Uh, The tattoo I got to celebrate finishing college um, is a specific species of North American honeybee um, on my back. Uh, My thesis was all about homesteading, uh, people who are not from rural and agricultural backgrounds who choose agriculture um, and and kind of making a homesteading kind of, you know, rural self-contained living. Um, This was in, you know, the early 2010s when a sort of like, you know, nouveau, like back to the land movement was pretty common among Mm -hmm. bloggers and early instances of influencers. Um, yep, and so yep. I kind of analyzed their, you know, memoirs and blogs and like cool. literally as a sort of modern uh, literature with all of the, you know, ups and downs of like, you know, frontierism and uh, and, you know, the the class privileges of that, et cetera. Um, but the thing I loved the most and thing that really resonated with me uh, was the, you know, the bee as a metaphor um, for so many things. But at that time, what really uh, what I really loved was the sort of pleasure of being one among many Um, and Mm. the fact that even if you know every day like every hour of my labor doesn't feel you know utterly uh, meaningful (laughs) or if sometimes the kind of like grand plan of my life or my significance or my place in you know the world society and my community is not totally known to me like I need to trust that there is one Um, and that ultimately Mm. the the meaning and um, benefits and like impact of my life to me the ones that mean the most um are the ones found in community um mm-hmm. and not being a standout not being the queen bee right like not being um you know a, a a remarkable individual but being a contributor among many and kind of counting myself um in that group um and that's why my sweet honeybee is with me forever and why i chose the hebrew name devara which means bees in hebrew that's incredible yeah a friend of mine asked me what Hebrew name I would choose when when the time comes, and uh, I, I I've been thinking Tal, which just means dewy, because I'm very sweaty all the time, and it's also gender neutral. <laughs> that is really good. Yeah, I was looking for a cool gender neutral name. Um, a lot of them though are very common among Israeli babies, and I didn't okay. necessarily want to have the same name as like a bunch of Israeli toddlers. Uh, so you know, your mileage may vary, but uh, my my rabbi, as soon as I was telling him that you know bees have been significant to me my whole life. I should mention that as a kid, my my imaginary friend was not like another child, but a bee. Like sure. my imaginary friend was just a bee named Buzzer <laughs> Bee, uh, who was simply a bee. Uh, and <laughs> we did things like I put out a little bit of food for Buzzer Bee and, you know, he ate the crumbs. Um, anyway, was like, well, then your answer is is that you're, you're Devra. Yeah. 
That's amazing. I love that. I'm so I'm so glad. Like I had been thinking for a while that it would be nice to do an episode about honey at some point, but I hadn't really found like the angle that I wanted to take with it, and I wasn't really sure who to ask to do it. And when you suggested it, I was like, "Yeah, perfect. Let's do it." And I I I'm glad that we were able to do one that has such a like deep significance for you beyond just like liking it. Like it, it's it's that's that's very sweet. Yeah. You know, thank you. I, I feel like I've kind of come on here and just yelled about why I think honey is cool and delicious uh, for That's a good. little while. That's the point. Uh, but I, <laughs> I really do. And, you know, it, it, the the ties into Judaism, the ties into, you know, folklore, into just stuff that I find meaningful in my life. Um, this uh, I'm really into like houseplants um, and I, I live in an apartment without any outdoor space, so I can't mm-hmm. be a proper gardener. Um, but sure. this spring I am going to plant some pollinator friendly wildflowers mm-hmm. in a window box uh, against my land landlord's wishes because you should, you know, become ungovernable by landlords. Uh, I am going to hope and, uh, you know, really, really try to get some honeybees commuting to my kitchen window um, because participating in the making of honey and not just the consuming of honey feels like a real full circle moment for me. Um, and hopefully one day I can have bees. My uh, my sibling's spouse is super into bees and wants to be a beekeeper um, one day, you know, partly uh, a home beekeeper, which is also just the thing you can do. You just have bees. Yeah. Like, it's, it's incredible. You just put it on the roof and the bees are there. Like, it, uh, so good. Um, but that's one of the things that bonded us uh, together at first. So honey has become, you know, a real through line for my life um, in a way that I, I didn't expect, but I, I really value. I love that. Yeah. Shout out to pollinator plants. Like they are so often really beautiful in a way that's a little bit more like untamed looking than like your standard garden plants, which like also is just really nice. Like it gives you a little bit of variety when you're so used to just seeing like flowers and shrubs like to see pollinator plants planted in a garden i don't know it 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 makes things a little bit more exciting it it improves the sort of biodiversity especially if like us you live in a city like you want that right and you know what don't worry about your landlord like it is a tried and true new york tradition to like let people in through the windows off your fire escape whatever have secret roommates who help you pay the rent like i (laughs) i think if you want to grow bees in your window grow bees in your grow bees yeah keep bees you know what i mean that That too even the verb actually i'd be very curious um among listeners to no bad food how uh what the verb is for um Mm -hmm. like you know getting honey from bees in your language um Mm. because even just keeping bees like it's not a that you don't own them you don't make them you don't produce them you don't farm them you keep bees which Mm. i think is such an interesting distinction um because they are you know there for a while until they're not and you know we we keep each other in the way that we keep you know friendships and homes like it just you know listen you can't you can't tell me that a bee is not a perfect metaphor for almost anything you want to express <laughs> yeah i love that especially because like owning bees or like raising bees have a much more direct role whereas keeping bees is more about not getting rid of them yeah me. like you're you know, a temporary like, home for as long as they uh, want to be there and sometimes they swarm and leave and you're like okay and then you wait for a new swarm that needs a home to come onto your property yeah it's interesting in French. I, I wasn't sure, so I looked it up. But in French, the other language I speak, the uh, the word for beekeeper is apiculteur or cultrice, depending, which is like close to like agriculture. Agriculture, like it's the same kind of concept, right? And I think there's nice. something interesting about cultivating bees as the sort of like French way of looking at it, where it's like you're not just farming them, but you're like encouraging their growth. I guess exactly. I think that's great. Huh. Cool. I love that. 
So before I let you go, do you have any like final words of wisdom, final thoughts, final recipes to encourage people to check out regarding honey? Sure. One of my favorite uh, people to follow around agriculture, um, the like politics and ethics of food, uh, reclaiming food and eating from diet culture, and also Judaism is Julia Tertian, uh, who is an absolutely fabulous writer. She has cookbooks, she has classes that are both virtual and live, and just a fabulous social media presence and newsletter, um, as well as a podcast called Keep Calm and Cook On that you can and should follow. Um, and she has lots of recipes that involve honey. Um, she has lots of uh, kind of her most recent cookbook is around like, quote unquote, health eating in a way that doesn't isn't like toxic and sucks um her wife has diabetes and so they they talk and write a lot um about kind of you know what different diets require and honey is often a through line of of you know a food that is um is healthful but also delicious because no matter what your kind of eating you know habits or restrictions you deserve to have food that tastes really good um and to nourish your body and give you the fuel that you need um you know to get on with your day if if nothing else and so i definitely recommend you follow her i definitely recommend that you pick up some honey the next time you are at a farmer's market uh, or or farm stand in your area and join me in the practice of uh, honey tourism, where every time you go somewhere new, you bring home honey if you can find it, uh, which I find absolutely uh, delicious and encourage people who are visiting me every time I don't, they don't know what to get me for, you know, a holiday or my birthday. I say, bring me some honey or like other, you know, stuff from your, um, from your hometown, but that tends to travel best. So that's awesome. Know, that is, that is my enthusiasm about honey. And if you have particular books uh, or articles about bees and honey that you love, particularly around folklore, I am totally here for it. So send them to me. Sweet. Where can people find you on the socials if you want to be found? Yeah, I'm at She's So Mickey in all of the places. Um, and I work on podcasts as my job, including one all about mythology and folklore called Spirits, where we have not yet done an episode on bee folklore, but I'm going to be changing that in 2023. <laughs> We're going to be doing an episode on bees. Watch this space. Uh, and I play a lot of uh, characters really interested in their environment, um, including a character up coming who is more directly related in the production uh, of, of food than I've ever been before on Join the Party, which is a storytelling podcast powered by the rules of Dungeons and Dragons, where uh, four of us create a world together. And the one we're creating next year is my favorite yet. So check out both those shows um, in your podcast app, or just go to multitude.productions to learn all about what we do and how we're helping other creators earn a living in this economy, TM. In this economy? <laughs> um, I saw like 20 minutes before we started recording that you guys are also launching a bunch of new classes in yes. the new year. Tell me about that. Yeah. So uh, in podcasting, there are, you know, there's like a, it's a weird field. Like no one teaches you how to do it unless you're lucky enough to get a sort of internship at a radio station or something. <laughs> but I don't know. I wasn't, uh, I didn't know I wanted to do this until after I graduated from college and my degree wasn't even in media. And so we are offering some classes on subjects like how to podcast sustainably, how to like design a show that will work with you and not against you, a show that will make the best use of your limited time and resources. Because a lot 
lot of us do this along with other stuff um, taught by my husband, Eric Silver. Um, I am teaching one on how to make a living as a creator and, you know, ways to kind of make money in a way that's ethical and sustainable. Um, and then our colleague Brandon is doing a class on mixing and editing for non-engineers. So how to kind of make your audio sound better without spending a whole lot of money on equipment. So all of those are really affordable, $145 for a month-long class. We're also offering scholarships for all of those classes and we're recording all sessions. So if you have stuff come up, can't make a giving class, you can watch it back later. Uh, we're really stoked about it. We love teaching and we love helping others learn how to do what we do. So um, thank you for bringing it up. It's something we're really stoked about and really excited to try. They launch in mid-January, but if all goes well, we'll have plenty of other semesters to come. Amazing. Yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, if you are listening to this and you have ever thought, you know, maybe I want to do what Tom does, go check it out. You can. Nothing's stopping you, really. Yeah, and we have lots of free resources on our website as well. So that's multitude.productions. I think I think that's always worth remembering with podcasts is like, obviously, yes, like you listen to shows that have, you know, high production value. You listen to shows where the hosts like clearly like have been doing it for a while, know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. But like you could make something today that would probably still be better than some stuff that's out there that does yeah. fairly well. Just because so. a podcast is big doesn't mean it's good. Uh, just because it is big doesn't mean it makes money. And just because it's small doesn't mean it's bad. Like it is, it is such a a strange um, industry and a lot of the kind of norms that we've inherited come from radio, which is Mm -hmm. a totally different medium and also fucked up in lots of ways. Like Mm -hmm. the largest satellite radio provider, Sirius XM was like, yeah, people um, bought fewer cars this quarter. So our revenue is down a lot and we're laying off a bunch of staff. Like that's not good if your entire business is based on the sales of cars in North America, Mm -hmm. um, et cetera. Uh, Spotify is just a tech company that's like, you know, tamping down union activity and like treating talent badly. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nobody is better qualified than you are, you know, listener, generic you, uh, to make a podcast. So listen, we share with you all the tips we possibly know and uh, encourage you to get out there and do it yourself because this is all about community and nobody's an expert in community except for the people in community, which involves you. That was a hard sentence. (laughs) And I'm proud of you for getting through it. Thank you. (laughs) Can you tell I talk about this all day long? (laughs) Amanda, thank you so much for doing this. This was an absolute delight. And uh, I hope people listening are feeling inspired to get your bees on. My absolute pleasure. Next time you have a cup of tea, piece of toast, a bit of fruit, or maybe a tuna boat, put some honey on top. I'm going to have to try the tuna boat thing. And I'm also thinking about the like getting a jar of honey from every place that you visit as like a really nice alternative to like having to try local beers and wines like as a as a recovering alcoholic. Like I can't do that. And like trying local cheeses is really wonderful, but gets expensive. I know. And it hurts my tum, Tom. I can't do the cheese tourism. Uh And the bread doesn't keep well. Honey keeps forever, y'all. You can just have honey as long as you put it in a clean vessel. It just lasts, baby. It's amazing. There you go. Yeah. Get the honey. Get the honey. I'm going to get the honey and the cheese, I think. Yeah. I don't mind that it hurts my tum. It's a great pairing. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just suffer. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of our show. This is a pretty sweet episode, wasn't it? Thanks for tuning in, honey. Thanks so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to be part of the conversation? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at No Bad Food Pod and individually at Teffer Bear and at Tom Zalatni. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, you can head to patreon.com slash no bad food pod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Gab, Thomas, Anne, Erica, Carlea, Andrew, Chantal, David, Mallory, and Sarah. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability 
ability to request topics for episodes of the show. If that's exciting for you, you can go to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to make it happen. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at the Podcavern merch store. And of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend who likes honey. Our theme music is by Zach Sugar O Honey Honey Ingles, and our cover art is by David You Are My Candy Girl Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but not least, the show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalat, and I as part of the Podcavern Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at www.podcavern.com. See you next week. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. No Bad Food is a proud member of the Podcavern Network. For more great shows like this one, head to podcavern.com. Hello, folks. I'm Katie. I'm Vinny. And we host the Learn Real Good podcast. It's a comedy podcast about science. It's also a science podcast with comedy. Each episode, we interview a science grad student about their research. And we keep it casual so you don't need to be a nerd to follow along. We also share some of the latest science newts. I think you mean the latest science news. Well, people need to hear more about amphibians. I agree with that. So look us up on your favorite podcast source and learn learn real good. good. Presented by the Podcavern Newtwork. Uh, close enough.